Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So with this question, poorly treated diabetes may have many adverse outcomes, including which of the following of weight gain, weight loss, blindness, and anorexia. The best answer would be blindness because that long-term hyperglycemia is going to have that adverse effect on your vision too. So a lot of the time people with diabetes, how they get flagged to maybe get you know, get tested for diabetes is at the eye doctor because they'll be saying, you know, your vision's really, really deteriorating. Next one we have is what is the role of fat? I mean, what is the role of the liver in fat digestion? Options are the liver is needed for fat absorption in the small intestine. The liver excretes fat that cannot be used. The liver stores fat when it is consumed in the form of triglycerides. The liver recycles fat and converts fatty acids to carbohydrates. And this is a question that I like to ask in my situational practice question classes because this is one where you read and you're like, all of, the, all of them sound great. All of them seem good. How could there be multiple quote-unquote right answers? In this question, you really need to read it. So let's go back to it saying, what is the role of fat, of the liver in fat? digestion. So vocab, it's really important on the exam, and a lot of my students mix up digestion and metabolism. What you want to be thinking about with digestion is that's everything that's happening in the GI tract. So when I think about, okay, what do I know about fat digestion in the liver? Okay, well, bile is used in fat digestion. Fat metabolism is happening on the cellular level, and that's when we're bringing in things, you know, like our liver processing our fats, our lipids, our triglycerides, our cholesterol. That's all metabolism. So if I look at this question again and say, mm, which one is happening in the GI, in the GI tract? We're, again, kind of looking through it. And that's why the reading is important because where people lose time in the exam is you read and you're like, oh my God, I don't know. So when I read this, I'm going to go, okay, what is the role of the liver in fat digestion? Pause. What do I know about fat digestion? I'm thinking bile. Okay. So I'm going to go through it again. The liver is needed for fat absorption in the small intestine. Now this one does not say bile, but that's what it's saying. It's like a little bit hidden. So that's the answer. Versus the other ones, right? Fat the liver excretes fat that cannot be used, right? The liver stores fat when it is consumed to the form of triglycerides. The liver recycles fat and converts fatty acids to carbs. That's all thinking about metabolism too. And we have a question on the Facebook Live, and that's why even though this is obviously recorded in the podcast, I love when you guys come to the Facebook Live because it allows you to kind of live interact. So I always love to see you guys there. I remember the... Um, link to the Facebook page is in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast 
Um, so the question says, how does the LDL go to tissues from the liver if the fat skips the liver and goes into lymphatic system? So really love this question because fat digestion metabolism is the hardest thing to wrap our head around. And I think so much of what's taught in school and kind of honed into us is, right, the LDL is taking the fat from the liver to the peripheral tissues. The HDL is moving, right, the fat from the peripheral tissues to the liver. But the question that this student is asking is really talking about the chylomicrons, which are like, you know, the redheaded stepchild of the lipoproteins. So when we're thinking about fat metabolism and digestion, you want to be thinking about things like micelles and also thinking about our chylomicrons. So let's say, so like today, it's really disgusting in Boston, so I had to have ice cream. So I, if I eat my ice cream, right, there's lots of fat in there. I, as I eat it, it gets into my small intestine. The bile is helping to emulsify it. The lipase from the pancreas, right, is breaking it up. And then I'm repackaging these into a component called micelles. And I like to think micelles start the mission. The mission from the GI tract into the epithelial cells. Then when we're in the epithelial cells to exit, I like to think that we're repackaging into the chylomicrons. Think chylomicrons complete the mission. So the chylomicrons are a lipid protein, just meaning that it's a ball of lipids with a little protein on it. And so the chylomicrons that are completing the mission, they are completing the mission of bringing the fat from the epithelial cells, which are the cells that line the GI tract, into the lymphatic tissue. And right, the lymphatic system is going to kind of be our fat superhighway. This is moving the fat around the body. Eventually, it's getting into the blood. A big conversion point is the liver. So chylomicrons and kind of that movement from, right, my ice cream through my GI tract into my epithelial cells, into my lymph, into the blood, is a separate process then the LDL, right? So once I ate the ice cream, then the LDL, you know, can the fat can get incorporated into the LDL. And you can go, oh, perfect. Let's move this fat from Dana's ice cream elsewhere, right? Which is why we can't eat too much. So separate processes all under the umbrella of fat metabolism. And that's why, too, understanding fat metabolism is really, really important. And all the different types of metabolisms are really, really important because if you don't have a baseline of metabolism, if you don't have a baseline of, you know, the structures of your macronutrients, it's really hard to move through the topics. So definitely if that's a topic that is tricky for you, the class I'd recommend to help you cover fat metabolism would definitely be the biochem review that class is going to cover a variety of topics on metabolism, but also like hormones, enzymes too. So a really, really great class and a great question from the student in life. Because again, it gets confusing. And if you take any of my classes, you guys are going to realize quickly, I love to lay a very strong foundation, right? Because that helps you to correctly answer the questions because you actually understand Especially if there's any topic that as you're going through, you're going, oh my God, I, I don't understand this. 
that's a perfect topic to take a recorded course on because we'll break it all down for you. So that metabolism, trickiest one of the bunch. Next question we have is which laboratory values can be abnormally low when evaluating nutritional status in a patient with a liver disease? Options are realbumin, potassium, chloride, vitamin C. And if nothing's coming to mind here right away, one of the things I want you guys to remember is that prealbumin and albumin are hepatic proteins, meaning they are made in the liver. So if I have any issues with the liver, I'm going to have decreased albumin and also prealbumin too. So answer there would be our prealbumin. Next question is, what um, vitamin has been shown to help provide protective benefits against cancer? And you guys know that I work in oncology clinic part-time. So this is a question all my patients are asking me, and they're taking like 1,000 vitamins, right? So every single vitamin will have a benefit to cancer. We need them all. We also need all the minerals. But what this question is saying when it's saying, you know, you know, there's multiple answers, right? So options are vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, vitamin K, all important, right? And when you're getting a question where you're like, oh my God, I could make an argument for each of these. It's not saying that the other ones aren't beneficial for cancer. What it is saying is that which one, if I, my patient was like, I only want to take one supplement, which one should I take? Which one would be the best? And the best one would be A, vitamin C, just because vitamin C would be the one that's the most kind of antioxidant effects, would be, which would be really, really great for cancer. Also helps with the immune system too. Next question. Your patient is taking Lasix. What would you increase in the patient's diet? Options, folic acid, iron, sodium, and thiamine. So with this one, one of the things that... I see most people, and even in the um, in the comments on the Facebook page, people put is right away they're like sodium, right? Because you're like, oh, we're losing fluid, sodium. But when you're thinking about the medications, and this week we had a student who was like, "There's too many medications. Can we go over some of them?" With the medications, if you are just memorizing a list, you're going to have no utilization for them on the exam. The exam's not asking you to memorize a list. Exams asking you questions like this. So things you want to think about with these medication questions is what type of medication is it and what's the mechanism? So Lasix, right, is for volume overload, helps you pee out your fluid. So who's on this? Patients with volume issues, including, right, could be renal disease, could be edema, could be heart failure, could be ascites. So these are patients who are having lots of fluid issues. So even though right, you're peeing out a lot, losing, you know, could definitely say, I'm losing electrolytes. You're telling me if you answered sodium, you want to flip that back in and say, oh, a patient on diuretics might have heart failure, whatever volume issues, I should give them more sodium. No, that's going to make the edema that they're taking the Lasix for worse. So this one is actually thiamine. A lot of people forget about thiamine. I like to teach thiamine as the one the number one thing you should think about, right, with malnutrition and also fluid losses. Because thiamine is what I like to call like super water soluble. 
where when I'm removing water, I'm vomiting, I'm having diarrhea, I'm doing peritoneal dialysis, I'm doing Lasix, I'm going to have higher losses of thiamine than the other water-soluble vitamins. So answer for that one is going to be thiamine. Okay. Next question we had is inspired by one of my students, and she posted this from Pocket Prep, and then we also talked in our session, too, about it a little bit because she was so frustrated with this question. She's like, Dana, I know counseling, and I'm just so confused about this answer. So let me read you the question from Pocket Prep, and then I'll give you the explanation I told her, too. So during a nutrition counseling session, a client says, quote, I know you want me to stop eating out, but I'm not ready to do that, end quote. The dietitian responds by saying, you can see that there are some issues, but you are not willing to, um, you're not willing to think about stopping altogether. And our answers here are rolling with resistance, avoiding an argument, developing a discrepancy, and expressing empathy. And my student, when we went over the standards, she's like, I just, I want to put developing a discrepancy because the dietitian in this situation is pointing out two different things the person said. And remember, developing a discrepancy is doing that, where you're saying, you're saying this, but you're, but you're, you know, also saying this. Rolling with resistance I like to think about the tennis match. You're like trying to kind of keep the conversation going, hitting it back at them. So with this question, on first pass, you could definitely make an argument for, ooh, it could be rolling with resistance because I'm not trying to make an argument. I'm like trying to keep the conversation going right by saying, you see that there are some issues, but you're not willing to think about stopping altogether. But then I could also say, oh, but I'm developing a discrepancy because I'm saying, on one hand, you see that these is, there are these issues. But on the other hand, you're saying you don't want to stop. And on this one, the answer is rolling with resistance because rolling with resistance is going to be more of a summary of what you're saying too. I'm not adding anything kind of new. I'm kind of handing it back at them, trying to keep the conversation going. Verse, I want you to think about Developing a discrepancy is more a little a little bit closer to like tough love, right? Where you're showing them, you said this one thing over here and you said this one thing over here. I'm pushing them together. Versus in this example, right? The patient is saying the things together already, right? I know you want me to stop eating out, but I'm not ready to do that. They're already telling me that. I'm not telling them that. I'm reflecting back what they're saying. So the developing the discrepancy would be when I'm showing them two different pieces of their conversation that are contradicting each other. So for example, let's say the patient, one side of the conversation was saying, you know, I know you want me to stop eating now. You know, I know it's important to my health. I'm really working on it. And then on the other side of the conversation, they're like, oh, yeah, I, you know, had to try this new this new place. I wanted to eat out and then I didn't want to cook. So I didn't plan. I wanted to do this. Then the developing the discrepancy would be saying, hey, you said you wanted to do this, but every meal this week in your diet recall, 
was you eating out? So think of developing discrepancy as a little bit of that tough love, right? Where I'm not playing games. I'm like, you said two opposite things, right? With my oncology patients at one end of the conversation, they'll say, I'm avoiding all carbs, right? Because remember, sugar feeds cancer. And then on the other side, they're like, oh, yeah, I'm doing juicing. And I'm like, these, you're saying you're not having any carbs. But here's all the things you're eating that are carb. So this one's definitely a tricky, a tricky one too. And a good one to talk about because I love, you guys know I love pocket puff. The explanations are really great. But if you're leaving a pocket puff question or any of the questions, of course, you're like, I do not understand the difference and why it's his answer. Ask it on the page because it's good to just kind of hear it from another angle. Next question is, what type of diarrhea is typically associated with conditions such as pancreatitis and short bowel syndrome? Options are osmotic, superiori, exudative, medication-induced, or malabsorptive. So the diarrheas, if you've taken the MNT practice questions course, you know I have like five questions on just diarrhea because I love to torture you guys. But the diarrheas get confusing because it's really easy to justify and be like, uh, I think that one would work, right? So in on the Facebook page, we've got a few votes for malabsorptive, a lot for osmotic, some for exudative as well. And because so many people said osmotic, I asked the question back because I'm always looking at the comments and if they're going too much the wrong way, I always put in a question too. And so a lot of people said osmotic diarrhea. And my question back to them was, what is osmotic diarrhea? Because when we're thinking about osmosis, that is when we're having something that's really concentrated and the water's drawing in and kind of flushing us out. In this question, we want to think about what are these disease states? Pancreatitis. You guys know the pancreas is my favorite organ, right? Pancreatitis, we're inflamed, could have pancreatic enzyme insufficiency. So if I eat, right, let's go back to my ice cream before. I eat my ice cream. My ice cream, right, gets hit with bile. But if I don't have my lipase protease amylase, I'm going to have, it's going to come out, right? If I have short bowel syndrome, I just don't have enough surface area. It's going to come out. So it's just kind of like sliding through. So uh, that is not matching osmotic diarrhea. To the best one here would be malabsorptive because I'm saying I can't absorb it because if I don't have my pancreatic enzymes and I do not have actual length of my GI tract, it's going to be tricky business. Next question is, which of the following is the correct CPT um, code? Remember, that is the current procedural terminology. That's like our billing codes for a dietitian for Medicare initial assessment. And I feel like every once in a while, my students get these questions and they're like, Dana, why do I need to know this? And remember, for the exam, you get two seconds of going, this is the stupidest question ever. And then you have to go, I'm just going to, I'm going to learn it. I'm going to figure it out. Dana has a trick for me. And then I'll pass my exam and I'll just move on. Because yes, the exam questions can be really dumb. So options on here are, and these are all numbers too. So the first one is 97802. Next one is 97803. Next one, 97804. And then the last one is 
G0270. So if you're listening to those and you're like, what, I'm already lost. Here's my trick. So you want to focus on the last numbers. So the first one, right, 97802, think, look at the two. Two is new. This is your initial assessment. Then the next one has the three at the end. So the three, think there's three, there's three comes after two. So this is your reassessment. Four, think there's four people in a group. So this is group counseling. And then the other G1, remember, it's not a group. That's kind of what I remember. And that this one's an initial assessment, second referral. So if you know those three, you're going to be good to go. Two is new. Three comes after two, four people in a group. Um, in the comments, one of the students, too, said she likes to remember that the two is that there's two people. So the initial assessments between two people, that's a good way to remember it, too. Um, but again, there's lots of tricks with it. So this one, we're saying, what would be the initial assessment? Two is new. So the best option, the best option would be A. Next question we had is, a student was saying some tips on knowing the medications for the exam. She was saying that she was doing a practice quiz on an app which had so many more medications than listed in Inman, and she felt lost. So my comment back to the student was saying, remember that the Inman does not, Geneman doesn't write the exam. So as you're studying other materials and you're going, ooh, that's a new medication, that's a new vocab term, that's a new topic, make sure you're adding that to wherever you're taking notes because again like we just talked about with the the codes if you're just going oh this is so frustrating right which is allowed two seconds of that you're going to spend more time getting frustrated so keeping kind of a running list of you know the disease states the medications is really helpful get it on a study guide if you take my medications review class you'll also get a study guide on it it's really nice to kind of have everything organized in one in one place too there's lots of medications on the exam really the best way to study the medications is with the disease states because you want to be thinking why would I use this what are the nutritional implications what are the side effects um and remember too that I also have an MNT study guide this is a 56 page study guide that breaks down all the, the diseases on the exam into what are they? Because again, if we don't have a base knowledge, we don't have much. What are they? What are we concerned? What am I gonna be doing as, about it as a dietitian? Labs, medications you wanna think about. And then my personal favorite section on the, um, on the study guide is my notes, which is mostly Dana couldn't fit what she wanted to say in other categories. So it's kind of like my little anecdotes there. So that's a great way too especially if you're using a study material that your program provided that you're not loving, using that is a really great way to be doing that. And that's on my website too, the same place as the recorded courses, um, the recorded courses as well too. Next question is from a student and she said she came across this question in domain four of Inman and wanted to kind of go over it. So it was saying, the question was, a pan of potatoes has been cooked to an endpoint of 145. No, sorry. Has been cooked to an endpoint of 140, right? We want potatoes to be at 145. So the potatoes are at 145, and the question is saying, serving is scheduled to begin in 10 minutes. 
you should do what? And this is a question too. It's situational and saying, what is the best thing to, what is the best thing to be doing? So what we're saying here is we're saying, options are delay service until the potatoes are done. Right? Maybe they're like, right, like an appetizer with the entree. It doesn't really matter, but right, you need to serve potatoes. Potatoes aren't right. So we could say, we're going to just not serve dinner till the potatoes are done. B, begin the service without the potatoes and deliver them when done. Right? So a little bit better than not serving them, you know, not serving the service at all. Because again, think you're at this restaurant. Would you, you know, rather just kind of like wait, wait, wait until there's potatoes? Option B, right, is give your meal without the potatoes. And then when the potatoes are done, bring it out and be like, oh, here they are. Right? Which is kind of just weird. Um, see, substitute um, with mashed potatoes until the other potatoes are done, right? So there, and that's the answer. That one, I'm doing like a similar item, right? Kind of similar, same group. Well, they are, well, they're both potatoes, but you guys know what I mean. Like they're, they're the same food. Or D, complete the cooking process in hot holding. So that would mean like putting it under the lights, waiting for it to get to 145. This question is really a customer service question but also a food safety question where I got to get the temp up to 145. I, I do not want to serve this at all, but I also have all of, um, I also have all of these people who are waiting for me and I want to be able to give them the service too. So best option would be just sub with something that's very, very similar and then put back when, um, when the new other potatoes are done. Next question is one inspired by one of my one-on-one -on -one students just because we are going over corrected age for infants. And again, it's another topic where depending on how your rotations are, you might not be super familiar with um, corrected age for infants. So what we're thinking about is if I have a baby, let's say the baby was born at six months. So they were three months premature. So on when the premature baby is three months old, they're really newborn because they have a corrected age of zero months because I'm subtracting back that time that they were born early. And what this allows you to do is make sure you're, they're hitting the milestones that are most appropriate for them. Because when this baby hits six months with a, and another full-term baby hits six months, our preterm baby that was three months early, it's really a corrected age of three months not six months. So they might not be ready for solids. So it's we're subtracting the time from their current age that they were born early. And that's going to be kind of their corrected age. So that we're kind of looking at the milestones based on where, on where they should be for their actual corrected age. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.